Welcome to the Running on Purpose podcast. This podcast is dedicated to training the body, the mind, and the soul for what the race requires. My name is Steve, and I'm your host. In this episode, I'm going to be talking about and unpacking my idea that I'm calling the Mission Protocol. A little loud, is it not? And the mission protocol in the past has been what I called the brief and debrief. But as I started working more intently upon creating this New Year podcast, the first episode of Running on Purpose in 2024, I wanted to use the January energy that we all know and love, that energy that as most of you have probably applied to both your intentions, your resolutions, goal setting. Um, maybe you've kicked off a, a dry, dry January or worked on getting a gym membership, lifting some more, a variety of different things that many people choose to do in January. I'm suggesting while those things are valuable and useful, I'm also suggesting another protocol. This protocol I call the mission protocol. And it is focused on helping you take the raw data of your workout sessions and recycling it into clear insights and focused intentions for your next sessions that you have. So the purpose of this protocol, again, that I'm calling the mission protocol, is to provide a specific process for optimizing your training. And I use the debrief, I'm sorry, the brief and the debrief um, in conjunction with the idea of intention so I can raise the stakes in your training. So what does that all mean? Well, I'm not really sure. I mean, I am sure, but I'm not sure how this actual episode is going to play out. There is so much here for me to track and so much for me to reveal. And I've written a pretty extensive post on it that I will link um, a Google Doc to from the show notes to so you can read it if you're interested. Um, but I don't I wrote the doc. Um, and I've been thinking about these issues for a very, very long time. And I'm even using them with individual athletes as they're working through their schedules. I've used it for a few athletes in the fall and have a few more in the spring who are thinking about using it. Of course, they won't recognize it as the mission protocol because I just came up with that name because it sounded sexy. I actually like it because we're on missions. We're on a mission. And the vision behind this episode comes from the SEAL world from my friend Jeff, who uh, trained as a Navy SEAL. He actually still works for the Naval Academy. And he he inspired it. He didn't actually bring it forward, but his experience and my being around him consistently, as I mentioned to him, he came into Austin recently and we had some barbecue. I was like, you're going to be a part of a big pod, a big important podcast I'm about to do and you don't even know it. Jeff also helped me do some of the earlier Running On Purpose podcasts, the ones I did on with um, Dina Castor and 
uh, and the like. So he's greatly loved by me and a member of the TELUS running community. So his experience as a Navy SEAL made me look more into the brief and debrief. And uh, the basic concept here, let me just explain it, is that before you go on a mission or go into the battle arena or whatever arena that you're going into, you want to know clearly what it is that you're trying to achieve. And that's your brief. So the brief is set up to prepare you for what you might encounter. And um, various briefs will, depending on where you're utilizing them, whether they're implemented in the business world or implemented in an educational sphere or they're, educa or they're done in you know, a, a sport field like we'll be doing or they're done in um, the war arena, they're going to have a little bit of a different you know, step-by-step -step process or, or focus point. Um, but it doesn't matter. What, what it is is it's a brief. You're just saying this is what we're going to try to achieve. And then the debrief is after the mission has been accomplished. Then you sit down and discuss what learnings there were. What, what did we, what happened out there in real time? How did we respond? What did we learn? And what can we bring forward to our next mission? And how do we want to think about that? Well, I think you can see how this probably just really, really resonated with me. It was incredibly powerful and helpful for me in thinking about how I needed my athletes to consider their training and how I would implement it in an online environment. Or for that matter, even in a live, you know, face-to-face -face environment. Because so often I think that athletes are doing workouts and sessions that have not been clearly briefed. You'll maybe think that you need to do 12 times 200 and do it at your 5K pace with a 200 rest, and that'll be left as the only thing that you need to do. And there's a lot there, right? 12 by 200 meters, so that's a repetition of a 200 meters. You're going to do that 12 times. You're going to have another 12 rests that they're going to go you know, in, you know, 5K pace for 200 meters and then recover for 200 meters, then 5K pace for 200 meters and recover. Um, and then you'll have a warm-up and a cool-down, and that'll be the thing, right? So that's primarily, and in most cases, all that's provided. But as I started working with folks online, I began to realize how important it was to give a much more detailed brief. And so I started creating um, what I call workout descriptions. So these are uh, a protocol by which I basically discuss... Um, the session details, and then I'll go through uh, what to expect during the session, and then I discuss, you know, the purpose, why it is that we're actually doing this particular workout. And so I post that each week so that my athletes have an idea of what they're going to do, and that's what I began to consider the brief. I, I was doing the workout descriptions in advance, but it became the brief. And then um, I would ask folks to post their results on our online forum or to send me emails or I work with a small number of people in what I call Ethos Plus. They're my one-on-one -on -one athletes where I discuss these things and they needed to, you know, have the sessions then come back and discuss with me what was going on in the workouts. And I found that those people who were doing a debrief, who were spending some time thinking about the workout and what happened, were getting significantly more benefit from the session. I mean, of course, this is logical 
right? I've talked many times on both the Keep Going podcast and on this Running On Purpose podcast, and anybody who's been coached by me for a number of years, you know I talk about tight feedback loops. And this brief debrief is the ultimate feedback loop. It's creating super tight feedback loops. Um, and it's doing it at multiple levels. It's first off doing it at the level of um, systemic, so across the, the board of, hey, anybody getting ready for Boston, we're going to do this workout. This is what I'm expecting you to do. This is your outcome of the workout. And then that should give you some residual, some, some, some fitness gain that you can take forward in thinking about what you're doing at Boston. So there's that piece. But then it's working at another level, which is the level of the individual athlete. That athlete's bringing their own context, their own situation, their own experience to bear on the workout and the way that they're implementing it. Those of us who are doing it in Austin, Texas, we've got a specific course that we're doing it. Those people who are doing it in, you know, Raleigh-Durham, they're doing it a different way. Those people are doing it in Seattle, they're doing it a different way. Those people doing it in in Pasadena, they're doing it a different way. And then I've got people all over the rest of the country doing these workouts in the world, actually doing these workouts in different ways. And each of them are going to be having a slightly different debrief and a slightly different brief and debrief process because the experience of doing the work is different. And getting feedback on that from them has been incredibly beneficial. And then I just realized, oh gosh, everybody should be doing this all the time. So you might say, well, is it taking you so many years to figure this out? I don't know. And, and maybe others have. And probably at some kind of deep intuitive level I've been doing this. Um, but it's only been over the last couple of years that I really began to see the impact and power of this. And so the purpose of this episode, you know, here we go, 10 minutes in, I'm giving you the reason why we're doing this, is so that we can begin, so I can provide a primer a way, uh, a foundational way to be thinking about this specific process for optimizing your training. So let's, I'm, what I'm gonna, my plan is to unpack this all the way through, um, to go through the brief and give you some key learnings and key things to be thinking about and then do the intention process because that's another piece here. One of the key aspects of the, of the mission protocol that is very different from a brief debrief that you might be thinking about from any other area of say military or leadership or psychological work. You know, there's a variety of different education. There's a variety of different places where this brief debrief model is played out. But in mine, there's a key component that's really important and it's the, the component of intention. And I'll break that down for you. Um, in, in much more specific detail. And then I'll go through um, the debrief process and then make some suggestions around it. Along the way, I'll be pulling in specific, uh, one specific session that my group does. It's a relatively new session. Only a few people have done it. So that will be some novelty there for my TELUS folks who are listening. Um, and then I kind of go through how I brief that and then how I would intend it if I were an athlete and then how I would debrief that depending on what happened. I don't actually go that much into the debrief because I think it's pretty self-explanatory by the time I get to that point. And the example isn't as important. Important, But um, if you feel like that, you need a little more insight there, just let me know. Um, you know. So in the mission protocol, the brief is the vision. The intention is the seed. Training is the water, ground, and conditions. 
rest and recovery are the harvest and the debrief is the full belly and the story or map for the future vision. And then it circles back. The brief is the vision. The intention is the seed. Training is the water, ground, and conditions. Rest and recovery allow for the harvest. And then the debrief is the full belly and the story and the map for the future vision. So this repeats cyclically. It repeats cyclically from the perspective of individual training sessions from a two or three week window that you might have in a hard cycle. It repeats in macro cycle after macro cycle or command performance after command performance. And I think it repeats across the scope of our live, our lives. And it may even, depending on your worldview, go into multiple lives, depending on how you see that. This mission protocol of having a vision, recognizing our power of intention, this energy within us, this desire as a seed, um, recognizing training as the place where all of the conditions are necessary for that seed to actually turn into something. So we need water. That's some of the work. Ground, which is the work. The conditions are the work. And then there's rest and recovery, as I've mentioned in the past, especially on the Keep Going podcast. I've mentioned this a few times about how um, it requires the rest and recovery for the actual work to be benefited from. And that's the harvest. The rest and recovery is the harvest. And then we've got a full belly when we debrief. We recognize we got a full belly of suffering and failure or a full belly of success. Um, and we take that full belly and the motivations that come from that experience, that fullness of experience, and we translate it into a story or a map for the next future envision. So that's what I'm going to be breaking down today. All right, so let's get started. The brief. So the brief sets the stage. So there's something that needs or wants to get accomplished in the context of a larger picture for most people. I call that larger picture what the race requires. And when I talk about a larger picture right now, let's just talk in the context of a season. Here we are in January. As I mentioned before, there's a significant amount of January energy uh, that, that, that shows up. And um, most of us are motivated and excited about some of this Boston, Eugene, maybe London, or a variety of other races in between. If you're running shorter distance races, there'd be other races. But ultimately, what you're looking at is saying, hey, I want to perform on a certain day. And I want to perform in a certain way on that day. And the, each session that I have, each session that's designed in the preparation for my performance, is a stage. It's a, it's a place for me to act out some kind of test or trial or work, a dress rehearsal. But it's more than a dress rehearsal. It's like the conditions for getting the success that you want in the future. So 
the brief basically says, hey, you're getting ready to go through some level of suffering because suffering is how you prepare for the massive suffering that comes on race day. So let's plan it out. And every coach worth their salt does this. Some do it with more level of focus, um, different methods, different ways of implementing and distilling and sending that information out to their athletes. If you're self-coached, then you're doing this yourself. Um, and that creates some level of tension, I think is really important for those who are self-coached to recognize and realize that the power of your brief will depend on many of the aspects I'm going to be talking about around intention, execution, debrief, and the feedback loop that that brings back, and that that feedback loop is going to be very important, more important for that self-coached athlete than necessarily it is for the athlete that has a coached plan. Because the athlete that has a coached plan should be trusting in their plan. And trust is the foundational element necessary um, submitting to a plan, a plan that you think will get you to where you want to be, is what's necessary for you to submit to the work that has to get done. If you're not confident that the work that you're going to be doing is going to effectively prepare you for what needs to happen, your brief's going to be significantly compromised. Then your intention will be soft and weak. It won't be. It won't. It won't hold up under weight. When the workout happens frequently, you'll find ways to escape and get away from what's happening on in the workout. Then when you finish, you're not going to want to debrief at all. You're not going to want to have any thought about it. You want to move on and just say, hey, I did the work. And then you repeat that over and over and over again. And then you go into the race and you wonder why. There's no self-trust. Because the coin of the realm on race day, regardless of the race distance, is self-trust. This is what we're working towards. Being able to stand on a starting line, and feel confident that you're prepared to achieve the goal that you've set. Now, you fully recognize there's uncertainty. You recognize that the race distance has something to say about it, the weather conditions, the route itself, your competitors. There's a lot of things that come into how you're going to actually execute on race day. So all you can do when you're standing on that starting line, what I like to call the starting line experience, is standing in your own self-trust. And those who are self-coached, you have a harder time with self-trust because you're already self-trusting from the outset. So I'm not arguing against it. Go for it. I'm a big fan of self-coaching. I have multiple episodes, early episodes of the Running on Purpose podcast around self-coaching. I'm not trying to say don't self-coach. I'm just saying you have a much higher level you have a deep metaphysical problem to solve. Whereas those who are following a coach's protocol, you, you, you don't have any problem with that. You're following the protocol. And my suggestion is, while you should have some level of, small level of skepticism, all that skepticism should be on the outset before you start the program. Once you get involved in it, you need to just trust it. Because believe me, most coaches know what they're doing. And, and there are so many different ways to roam. There, there are so many paths to roam. You don't, they don't all line up and don't all look the same. And if you start looking around for different programs at, while you're in the middle of a program, it's just not a good, it's a, it's a recipe for failure. So focus, just know. Your brief is the way that you're going to set up your particular way of handling that session that you have on the table for that given day. 
So in the Telos system, I break this down, um, as I mentioned before, in some detail. So I'm going to first give you what my three categories that I use in a, in a workout description. So those of you who are briefing on your own or you're reading your coach's descriptions, what you want to be thinking about here is, is there so, is this detail being provided for me? And if not, you need to provide it for yourself, okay? So what I recommend is, number one, the session details. So these are the reps, the rest, the pace, the effort, the warm-up, the cool-down, okay? Number two, what to expect. How the workout is intended to play out by your coach or the specific problems, challenges, and logistics that are, are in play for you to have to wrestle with and work through and overcome are incredibly important to be aware of prior to getting started. So what while you've got the session details, you also have what to expect. And finally, I don't know that everybody needs this piece, but over the years I have more and more recognized how important a sense of purpose can come how much purpose can 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 really inspire um, greater levels of effort, motivation, meaning, and and those kinds of things. So, I recommend also having the purpose of the session being delineated. So, in my case with my athletes, every session has a reason that it's being prescribed. You know, and likely those are the physiological, psychological, and in, you know, in my case, soul related reasons for embarking on the session in the first place. Like, what the fuck are we doing and why are we doing it? So, number one, the session details. What are we doing? What to expect? And why are we doing it? Those things. So, let me give you an example. So, in the case of my Telos group, we have coming up a session that's called Three Quarters. So, I'm just going to break it down for you as I write it out for my crew and their workout description. So, the session is a warm-up. Should be 20 to 30 minutes. Um, and that's the same for the cool down. And I also note that for each of my athletes, they need to get the desired long run volume. So this is a, what I call a long run quality workout. So I think that's really important to say there, there's a context <laughs> for the session, but I'm assuming before we brief intend and, um, execute and debrief that there's going to be this, uh, overall big picture that's already been worked out. And handled. So in this case, this is a long run quality workout typically executed on a Saturday or a Sunday in the context of probably 13, 14, 15 miles worth of work. Um, if you're marathoning, that'll be longer. Um, if you're running a 5K, it might be shorter. But this is, this is a pretty universal session. This is a half specific workout that I like to utilize. Again, I call it three quarters. So warm up for 20 to 30 minutes, depending on a person needs for their total volume. And then it's three sets of 15 minutes with a very short one to two minute rest. Now, I'm not going to go into all my designations. I've got a difference between rest and recovery and float and different things. That you, you, that's not necessary for this conversation. Just know that there's some kind of level of rest there. Further in the description, in terms of the details, rep one is around their marathon goal pace. It's their intended marathon goal pace. For those that are training for a marathon, um, they'll be very focused on this. For those who are maybe more 5K, 10K focused, they'll have sort of a, um, a on our pace chart, they'll have a kind of a zone that they want to stay in that's around that. It's not, it's not really dialed in necessarily right at their marathon goal pace because some person might not be running a marathon. But it's the sort of the, the, the extrapolated pace per for a marathon. It gives them a chance to warm up. It's part of 
you know, a, a way of locking into this session because the session progresses as it goes. So rep one is around at or around marathon goal pace. Rep two is at or around half marathon goal pace. And rep three is at or around half marathon goal pace or faster. 45 minutes total with one to two minutes rest between each discrete 15 minute period. And that workout is basically going a little faster and a little faster and a little faster as we go along. So I also note, keep the rest short. Better to keep it at one minute between the reps one and two, and then stretch it out to two minutes between reps two and three, but only if necessary. So those of you who have not worked in um, worked with me before, you may look at this and go, oh, wow, that's a real hard session. Yeah, I mean, it can be, especially if your paces that you're setting up, your marathon goal pace or effort, your half marathon goal pace or effort, are um, super prescribed. If you've already got them determined and you're already dialed in that 650 is going to be your marathon pace and then um, 635 is your half marathon pace and then you're going to go faster than 635 pace, yeah, depending on your fitness, that might be that might be a scary workout. But for anybody running a race that's going to be somewhere between an hour and 15 and an hour and 45 minutes for a half marathon, yeah, if you can't go 45 minutes at those paces or, you know, 60%, 70%, 60, 50 to 60% of the total volume, total duration of your event, and you, you can't approach slower and then faster paces around that, you're, you're not likely to actually be able to achieve the goal that you want to set. So I'm assuming all that, right? So that's my details. Now, in the details, I also sort of give a little historical part sometimes. Um, so I'm going to read that. This is a, those were the specifics, and here's the details. This is a pretty classic threshold session where the real focus is on getting a little quicker with each 15-minute rep while also targeting a faster pace at the start of each rep. So each time you start a rep, you're getting a little bit quicker than you started, than you were at the beginning. The focus should be on control and smooth rhythm through the whole session. You should not be running too hard on that final rep. Focus instead on efforts and keeping a steady, consistent, controlled rhythm throughout the entire 45 minutes of work. It turns out that this is a really excellent half marathon specific session as well. Bonus. So then I go into what to expect. So my notes. Those who have been with me for long enough know that three by 5K session that I've used to implement, that I have used a three to five minute, three to five, three, no, 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 no. what to expect. Those who have been with me for long enough know that the three by 5K session that I've used to implement it occasionally aligns with this session. This is really similar to that session. So it, it may, that may help some of you think through it. Generally, this session should be very doable for most of you at the paces and efforts indicated, unless you're stretching towards a goal that is very challenging. If you're chasing a tough goal, this is one that will put you in a very challenging space for the final 15 minutes. For everyone else, and that should be 99.9% .9 of you, it should be a really very manageable session, especially in comparison with many of our typical long-run quality sessions. Here I'm discussing how Telos has very, very difficult long-run quality workouts that really approach um, maximal effort uh, over extended periods of time. And this one, while it is um, a challenging workout, it's not overly challenging if you have the appropriate effort or pacing. And finally, the purpose. We're doing double duty 
and the physiological purpose of this session. We're minimizing aerobic stress while maximizing aerobic enzymes that are essential for optimizing energy usage in at any paces or efforts slower than your aerobic threshold. More simply, you get better at utilizing the energy at hand or in the legs to be less metaphorical. It's also great for improving our ability to feel strong, smooth, and responsive through longer bouts of work with significantly less mental and physical fatigue. On top of that, you've got very little rest, so you're required to stay in the arena for extended windows of time, just like you will on a race day. So, in terms of the brief, that's how I set the brief up. It's very simple. It sets the stage. There's typically um, a detail what to expect and the purpose, at least from the context of the way I manage things and handle things. And this is how all of my sessions are aligned and set up so everyone knows what to expect. However that translates for you is very important. You want to make sure you've got your brief set in stone. doesn't have to look like mine does. doesn't have to look like other people's does. It just needs means that you need to be relatively consistent in order for it to be effective. Again, I'm calling this the mission protocol. What is your mission? Your mission is to be ready for race day. This brief tells you why this particular session is there for you to be ready for race day. Why are you doing it? What are you doing and why are you doing it? Again, so moving on. So in this, I'm about to talk about intention. And this is uh, can be a little bit of a contentious space. Um, forgive me if this goes on over long I'm incredibly committed to this idea, and I also have a strong sense of trepidation, fear maybe, um, and certainly I've got a little bit of uh, my back up against a wall because the entire idea of intention does not fit within very many exercise physiology or specific marathon or other distance training protocols. The reason is because intention is very slippery and hard to describe. It's also not particularly subject to empirical testing. And I'll go into why that is and, and, and what my thoughts around it, but I just want to make everyone aware that at this point in time, um, I'm a little uncomfortable, and that's good. If I'm uncomfortable, then you should be skeptical. You should, honestly, you should be skeptical at all times, but you should be skeptical. I do think that some, at some points in this discussion, I'm likely to get pretty hot under the collar and stand pretty strongly in my opinion about it, but just please realize this is just my opinion. Take it as far or as not as far as you want to go. It depends. All right, so what's an intention? So ultimately, in my opinion, an intention is a mental state. So where your brief is more logical or systematic, I think of the intention as the fuel behind the next step or the action, the actual thing that happens in the workout. So the intention becomes, so where do we go? When we think about a brief, when we have a brief, we've just got a plan and then after the plan, most of us just move to execution of workout. And I'm arguing for an intermediary state, a space in between. 
where you align your body, mind, and soul into a mental state or a mindset to get something done and to bring that desire for the outcome mixed into the brief of the plan of what you're doing and then played out through your own idiosyncratic creativity, style, vibe, energy, prior concerns based on other workouts, things you're trying to achieve. There's a, there's a soup here, sort of a mental soup, a sort of, a sort of space. That space I call the field. I'll go into that in a little bit more. Um, but we need something that takes us from a concept and plan of the brief to the reality and that's the power of what we normally call will. So usually we'll have the term willpower or the thing that's the step between a, you know, a plan and executing is that we've got the will. But I just want to highlight that there's this gap. And maybe I'm, 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 I'm holding my cards to my chest a little too closely, but I just want to implement, I just want to show that there's this gap. At least there seems to be a gap. A gap that nobody recognizes. A gap that people don't discuss. Plan. Execution. Let's go back to will. So will is a fine word for this. Um, it, it, it's one that has a lot of historical legs. You know, the philosopher Nietzsche talks a good bit about will. Schopenhauer talks about will. There's, there's a model for will. Unfortunately, will has, uh, has a bit of a challenging um, cultural accretion. It has a little taste of tinge of fascism tinge of hierarchy, tinge of slavery that I, that I, that I worry about. Um, also, will has a tendency to kind of be overused and frequently people um, sort of bypass it as not a real thing. Now, maybe you may think intention is the same way, but I think intention has a little bit of a frizzin. <laughs> There's a little energetic there. There's also a good bit of provisionality around it and I think it's purposeful I, I like the idea that it has some provisionality so planning and willing are a thing but they're just not enough there's something else necessary again that frizzing of energy a spark that needs to occur to take the tinder of the vision that I'm calling the brief and apply an elemental, elemental miracle of becoming fire. How does this mysterious action occur? And what even is this mysterious action? So, enter the field. I like to use the concept of intention playing out at the level of a field. So, the field is an ongoing state of potential energy that's available outside the causal realm of input-output binaries. What does that mean? The field is the place that is in your imagination, a place that's in your heart, a place that's in your gut. It's a place frequently not in our mind. Sometimes our mind plays out in the field, but much of our thinking requires logical causal, cause-effect. Cause, effect, cause, effect. That's how things happen. The level of the field says there's something going on acausally. There's something happening that's 
any action that might occur in the world. There are, there are potential subsets of occurrence in the world that don't necessarily follow cause-effect, cause-effect. Take synchronicity, for example. There's a, um, an idea that you thought of your friend, and then the phone rings. And the only thing that causal there could be your thinking of it. But then that would have to operate at a level that's not cause and effect, cause and effect, because your friend couldn't know that you were thinking unless there's a field. Love, in my opinion, operates at the level of the field. It's very challenging for us to track love. Where does it come from? We, we colloquially and, and conditionally and culturally discuss it from the perspective of the heart located in this organ. In fact, we draw it that way. We draw it as a stylized heart. Uh, we'll talk about my heart told me to do a thing or I broke my heart. We don't literally mean that that thing broke. We, we can't track a causal cause and effect. My girlfriend said a bad thing about me, but why do I have this emotion? Is that directly reciprocal to the experience? Almost always we're recognizing that that neurochemical biological explosion of what we're sensing as love energy or 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 greed energy or anger energy or jealousy angry it's hard to call on the cause effect space so i'm making an argument that there's a field here there's a space this isn't completely contrary to science of course you're going to move into the area of physics that i'm not trained in psychology has also worn this this treaded this space pretty well you've got jung's idea of collective unconscious. We've got the subconscious. We've got these spaces that are occurring that we're calling mind. They're connected through mind, but yet are not um, physical, material objects. They're operating acausally outside of cause and effect um, frequently. And um, the future plays into the past as an energetic element. This is an important piece of this puzzle of the intention and how the intention, in my opinion, actually works. It's working because the future has energetic agency in our current space. And we intend in a, fut a future state. We're stating a future. We're making a claim. We're asking prayer in some sense. Intention really aligns with the Christian, or let's just say the... Uh, the um, Judeo-Christian-Islamic concept of prayer. Prayer is basically intention, that you're putting some kind of energetic idea slash energy into a field, and you're hoping that that field responds in some way, shape, or form to impact a future event. So you're calling on the future to make a present experience. Now you may say, well, wait, wait, wait. When you're making that happen, when you're saying that, then you're actually operating, the future is actually operating in the future. Okay, this is a really complex, I'm not going to say complicated. This is not that complicated. It's just our brains don't work this way. We're never in the future. We're never in the past. We're purely in the present, representing future and past in ways to be cognitively coherent for us. When we're intending, we're pushing to the future, hoping for the future to have an impact on our present. Ultimately, that's what's happening. 
So have I confused you all? I hope not. Let me go back to my notes. Again, I like to use the concept of intention playing out at the level of the field. A field is the ongoing state of potential energy available outside the causal realm of input-output binaries. Something is coming into the frame that is outside of our typical time-space relationships. It's an a-causal agent, something independent of prior, actual, and potential. Something the current worldview does not account for, but has always been in play in indigenous cultures and is accounted for in more sophisticated physics models of the universe. Hopefully my <laughs> extended digression and then that rather more pithy description gives you an idea about what I'm talking about here along the idea of intention. So just as an aside, you know, th at this time, some of you will be raising your hands in frustration and you'll be crying, woo, 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 woo. Okay. If you can't get with this, then just move on. Why or how it operates is significantly less important than that it works. Okay? The metaphysical proposition that I'm arguing is not as important than the fact that intention works in the real world. I'm not going to go into a defense of this position. I just want to point out that... The, point out the field and say that much of what is the actual energetic spark of this protocol is happening here. So by that I mean the entire mission protocol is dependent on utilizing and operating around the concept of intention operating at the level of the field. So if you can't get with that, maybe you don't want to roll. However, I promise, even if you don't believe this, even if this is something that you just can't truck, you can't go with this, then give me a chance to unpack it. Um, let me unpack it at a different time. Just consider something like our emotions. I mentioned this earlier. Fear, love, anger, bliss. These are very active energies that we allow into our cultural worldviews that are acting fundamentally at the level of the field. So just for the sake of this continued discussion, please consider the field as a potentiality and then table it and move on. So the intention is the personalized brief packed with the energetic energy of desire. Okay, let me unpack that. We set out a brief that was set out by you or your coach but what the intention is doing is personalizing this brief. It's packing it with your own energetic energy and your own desire. Because the brief is just words and a plan. But the intention is the energy that comes behind it. It's the will. It's the push. It's the fire. Okay? Once you've received the brief from your coach, then you've got to make it yours. You'll need to contextualize it in the space of your own life. You'll need to account for your emotions, your stress levels, your work-life balance, your energy levels, your excitement, your mood, your access to willpower. These are really important pieces. There's, there's a lot there, okay? It's contextualizing your intention 
is bringing this brief through real life into potentiality. Once your brief is set, the first step is you personalize it, as I said, into the intention. And you'll all, each and every athlete will start with the same brief, but you will have highly idiosyncratic intentions. So while you may follow the same brief, you should have your own personal way of describing, articulating, and, and, and acting on this. This is where So this idiosyncratic intention is where the actual energy or fire comes into the process. Because we've taken a concept and we've run it through our nervous system. We've metabolized it through some kind of head, heart, gut awareness, some kind of space in which we're bringing fire and energy to it. And what we commonly call willpower, in my opinion, is this energy that we can devote to the desire that you have to achieve a particular outcome. It's, again, I like to call it fire. It's an elemental energy, and it's available to everyone. And I think almost everyone can relate to it. Again, I'm going to repeat, will can be confusing, and it can develop a tinge of that fascism or slave mentality that I talked about. Whereas fire is always active, creative, highly energized. But it's typically ethically neutral. It's just simply running on desire and not on projection or the egoic process. In fact, it's an anti-ego that is simply pure energy. As such, it's dangerous to be sure, but I don't think that it's coming with a prior tinge of evil or just, I think it's a safe-ish space, especially if it's coming from internally and it's not based on some kind of projection or egoic field. So you'll need to take the brief Energize it with your own personal intention. And here's a potential example below, and I'll use that three-quarters session that I already debriefed. So how I might do this, okay? Intention. I have a half marathon race coming up in the next six weeks, so I can approach the three-quarters workout as a race-specific session. I'll prepare the evening before as if it were a race, set up my kit, have my fueling planned, know my paces and my efforts. I'll also bring forward the concept that I've been working on based on Steve's essay about dancing on the edge. There's a side here. In my protocol, I have a particular half way of dressing and handling half workout, half marathon workouts that I call dancing on the edge. The idea here is that after you get into a good, comfortable rhythm, then you press the outside edge of your half marathon pace then back off into something a little more comfortable, and you keep doing that back and forth, dancing on the edge. So I was basically saying, I'm going to use the dancing on the edge modality, that, that, that way of working on this session. I'll tackle the final two quarters with the intention of pushing to the edge of what I'm capable of, testing the way it feels rhythmically, mechanically, and energetically. Questions I'll ask myself, can I hold this? How long can I sustain it? Where's the outside edge of what I can handle? In my tension, I'll, in my tension, I'll make a point to take some risks now in training so that I'm capable of determining the best course of action on race day. So that's just a way of doing it. Now, there's not anything really pithy there. You may want to take this and break it down. Ultimately, this idea of intention should be highly idiosyncratic in terms of your context and the way you're doing it, but also be really idiosyncratic in the way that you present it, the way that you work through this. Believe me, just start doing it and you'll figure it out. In terms of the wording or how you get the intention down, 
just consider it's really pithy core. Get it down to the basics and don't worry too much. Once you've done this two or three times a week, you will begin to create a process that works for you. So a couple notes here. The first is on self-trust. So the thing about trust is that it's earned and not given. We all know this. But do we really experience it? I'll say it again. The thing about self-trust, well, the thing about trust, period, is that it's earned and not given. If you want to develop self-trust, then you have to put in the work. I consider the intention aspect of the mission protocol as the key ingredient developing to developing self-trust that we all be desiring when we stand on the starting line. Again, starting line experiences are determined by the level of self-trust that one's developed. The actual race result comes from each step covered between the starting line and the finish line. But we're already on autopilot when that happens, or as close to it as we can, because otherwise we engender the flow state. Keep this in mind. Think about this. Starting line experiences, this is all about self-trust. And you don't want to be pinging back and forth mentally, worrying, frustrating, scared, fear. You want to just sit and say, I'm ready. I can't tell you what's going to happen in the actual context of the race itself. This has to play out on the field of battle. But ultimately, right now, I'm ready. And this setting of intention really does lay the foundations and the the foundation and groundwork for having a really strong level of self-trust. So one thing that I'm going to recommend now and just make a quick aside of it, a quick note, and I don't mention it above, but you'll want to have access to an intention log after you go through this mission protocol. And the intention log is a place where you'll write down your key learnings um, from each step on this protocol. And you want to bring it forward to your future intention setting. So here I just brought forward a, a basic idea that I called dancing on the edge based on, you know, other things that have gone on. But as you have begin to develop an intention log, you will have uh, key insights, key things you're working on, key things that are important. And over time, those themes and insights will arise in a way that you can use as fodder for your intentional awareness. And then you can process or metabolize them through your future protocol process. Um, more on this in a, in a minute, but the idea, I just want to highlight here that there's a step here. I'm not describing that's called the intention log because I need to, I need to unpack it a little bit later. So we've set the brief, set the intention. Now we execute the session. So I'll have much more to say in other episodes, in upcoming episodes about how you, um, how a session might get executed, that's really beyond the context of this discussion. It just would take another hour, 30, 45 minutes to go through all the important parts of how an intention might be played into action, how it might go through the session itself. Right now, I'm just describing this protocol. Um, In the future, I hope to unpack more about how session execution will go about. But let's just say that we execute the session. Um, Some things to be keeping in mind, are, that are important. Uh, frequently, uh, these the session, this the intention log or the intention protocol, the intention part prior to this process will 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 include creating, you know, maybe some mantras or some songs or lyrics or quotes, all that can help you offload the sort of expensive cognitive energy and churn that thinking um, requires. 
this is one of the challenges of workouts. And one of the things we're trying to um, get to happen uh, below the hood is to have you be in an experience where you've already set some your intentions that create the kind of uh, pithy um, mantras or quotes or ideas that you're going to be wanting to pull through. Um, so having a simple and easily remembered and implemented mental attack is a core aspect of intention that you need to consider. Um, so again, I'm, I'm not going to go into that. Maybe I'll do that in the next episode or some future point. I'll talk about how that intention and using the taking all of the mission protocol, then also thinking about your intention log, how I might execute a session, go through a session, and do that more concretely. I know I did that already in the in the setup, but it's a little bit hard to go through each of those particular workouts and give an example of that. So I'm just going to leave it where we're at. And again, another aside is that you just want to remember that all your workouts have pauses and rests and breaks typically, and um, your races don't. So an important aspect of your actual session is just to make sure that you recognize that when you're implementing these workouts and you're implementing these intentions, that you're doing it all of a piece. And by that, I mean that it's all one workout. So 12 by 200 or 3 by 15 minutes, those with two minutes, one to two minutes recovery, those 45, and in this case, 40, you know, seven to eight minutes is one thing. Not the warm up, the cool down, but the workout itself is one thing. And that your intention and your execution should have a lot to do and have a lot of understanding about what's going on with that. So again, another aside, something else I want to talk about. And this is the idea that I want to discuss a little bit more below, um, but I need to set it up before I start talking about the debrief. But I want to introduce another potential outcome that is if you have a session and you do a session, most of us will think that you execute the session and then you're either succeeding or you failed. And we'll binary that. We'll, we'll, we'll put that into a very simple, basic box that says I succeeded or I failed. But I want to add a third contingent, a, a potentiality here, something that um, uh, is very important to me in the way that I work. And that's what I call the successful failure. So the successful failure occurs when you don't succeed in the brief, but the intention is seen through, or that we learn something critical that we can use to be prepared, better prepared for our race outcome. And that use of the mission protocol actually highlighted this successful fail. You might think of, you know, um, anything, I like to say always, that no one ever learns by success. Everyone learns by failing. And so if you do learn, then you've taken that failure and you turn it into a successful failure. This is really important to think. You may say, oh gosh, this is just obvious, pretty obvious. I, I know this, everybody knows this. I know how to allow and accept and learn from, um, from having a failure. But I do think that it's important just to recognize that so few people actually engage with this actively. And this is why the mission protocol can be so useful. Something that you might take as a failure that you don't process, metabolize, and utilize in the future, or something you consider a success, so therefore you don't need to relate to it, respond to it, do anything with it, recognize it. Your brief might, your debrief might happen very quickly and shortly because you were successful. We really want to make sure that we are having um, a protocol, a, a recognition of a success, a successful failure 
as um, an option. Again, it, it, perhaps the most important aspect of the mission protocol is learning how to allow and to accept and to learn from what we might have considered a failure. By not hitting the brief, we get something that we're able to take from it. In fact, I think some specific sessions should be undertaken with the full expectation that there will be a failure so that we can train our nervous system to be resilient and adaptive. Much of what we've been talking about here is happening what I call above the hood. So it's in the place of conscious awareness. Below the hood, the nervous system is the boss. And it has only one objective, to keep your body-mind safe. So the entire mission protocol is designed to train your nervous system to allow for a much longer leash. Because once it gets triggered, the nervous system is going to yank back hard and there will be very, very little that you can do to overcome the limitations that it places on you in the heat of battle. Typically, this is uh, the space where people say, uh, I, 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 I don't know what happened or it just came on me really tough. Interestingly enough, you know, when we get to that place where um, our body, our, our nervous system throws us curveballs, um, we'll frequently deny that the failure is mental. We'll basically argue and that we be, argue that it's just purely biological. And that's because we experience the pain as a near complete biological shutdown of your entire system. That's how it's designed. It's designed to trick you. It's designed to tell you that there is no ability for you to continue, that you're being shut down. Because it does not want you to reach that. In essence, it's kind of like uh, your check engine light or maybe you're approaching an empty tank of gas. Yeah, you've got more room to roam. But what happens is if we don't allow and train our nervous system to give us more space, then we get triggered and we can get thrown very quickly into really, really negative situations. A lot of times, um, as we're, especially when we're trying to approach um, above or near maximum capacity, the nervous system just throws the breaker on the whole system. I use, you know, and that's another analogy is the use of a breaker box, the, the way a breaker will keep a circuit safe or the way a fuse keeps a circuit safe in a car. It just basically throws down some kind of immediate um, alignment that actually sensed as catastrophic fail because the power goes off, but it's the power is going off in such a way to allow you to turn it back on and then the power isn't completely, utterly fritzed. However, if we allowed it to go through, perhaps it would have created a catastrophic fail or death. Um, and ultimately, that's what your nervous system is trying to argue, or trying to trying to protect you against is death or the sense of death, that catastrophic fail. Um, but we can train ourselves, um, especially through this mission protocol, to get better and better at that, to basically take the debrief as a way of taking those potential failures and turning those real failures, those potential failures into successful failures. And um, we can be able to be more clear and more sober about how we discuss and, and think about them. Okay, moving to the debrief. Gosh, sorry guys, this has taken a lot longer than I expected. Um, I think it's good stuff, but uh, it, it's, it's a lot. So maybe you can pause here, take a little bit of a break if you need to. Um, in fact, I'm going to do the same. All right. I had to take a bit of a break. So hopefully I'm coming back 
um, clearer, more focused, as I was finding I was kind of slipping there for a little bit. So let's go through the debrief. So as I described, in, the, in any session, we'll either fail or succeed um, based on our brief and intention set. And as I described the idea of a successful failure, you should know that pretty much almost anything can be taken from a failure into a success, at least through the protocol or the idea of a successful failure. Um, but regardless of an outcome, please don't skip the debrief. I find it to be an essential part of this mission protocol. In fact, I argue without any real um, evidential backup that in my experience there's a significantly lower probability of both physiological and psychological benefit can be accrued through any given workout if we don't take the time to debrief. In essence, I feel like there's a sense of waste that can go on, especially from a mental effort perspective. There's so much that happens in the session. And as I described in a multiple in other in other places about the necessity of recovery and recuperation. That's the harvest. Um, and I'm not going to go into that any more deeply here because there's other resources for you to find around that. But I argue that basically the way that we benefit from any particular session that we've done is that we benefit through the act of recovery and recuperation. And that's where all the actual physiological pieces are happening. So if we don't debrief and don't take stock of what happened, what occurred, then we're significantly limiting our ability to benefit from that rest and recuperation. There's a key piece here that's important. So even if you have a very limited amount of time, please do the debrief. In light of the fact that this episode has gone on so long and that you might be considering that the debrief, that this whole process might take too long, I'm going to just shoot to what I would call the pure essentials of a debrief. Of course, as with your intention, you know, developing your own idiosyncratic process will definitely pay some significant dividends over multiple iterations of going through this protocol. So just by giving you this external sketch, these pure essentials, I think that you will get what needs to be done and then you can flesh it out in a way that feels creative and effective and efficacious for you. Because remember, the goal is in developing self-trust. And in order to trust yourself, you need to know what you're good at and you need to know what you need to work on. So if you don't do this, then there are very important learnings that go to waste. So the pure essentials. First off, what happened in the, ses in the session? Success, success fail, or fail? Why? So what happened in the session that allowed the success or the failure to occur? What can you do differently? Sometimes we simply execute ineffectively. Well, we might have all the skills, we've set the intention, and our energy seems to be just right. We miss something. Or we fumble in the execution of the session. Or the paces feel too fast. Or something happens. These kinds of learnings are the easiest. They're typically lying in plain sight. So either there's an obvious oversight or a misstep, or maybe you lack the courage or the energy to see the session all the way through to the finish. 
regardless, there are discrete moments or a discrete moment where you know you kind of messed up. Simply note it and then indicate what needs to be done differently. You will want to take that information and put it into your intention log. And I'll talk more about the intention log um, below in a second. What did you miss? So more subtly, there are failures that we tend to be blind to. We don't know what we did not do. Let me say that again. We don't know what we did not do. Again, merely note this in your intention log. Frequently, we can't see the situation clearly right after a session or as the session's going on. But with a little bit of time and space, we have the ability to intuit that there was something missing in our perception or that the effort or in the effort and that maybe it can be corrected. These subtle clues are the most valuable because they're hidden from our awareness by our personal biases and our habits. Most of these biases and habits are deeply rooted in pattern and identity. They take a lot of time and effort to uproot. Believe me, I know. But we need not go right at them immediately. In fact, I recommend that you take some time and some space. Give yourself some time and space. Just document what happened and then as the questions around what were missed and what wasn't, your subconscious will begin to work on the problem and answers will eventually be forthcoming. The place that these come out are sometimes in your dream life. Sometimes they happen in, they come out in daydreams. Sometimes they come out in flashes of insight. Sometimes they come out um, in the hypnagogic or hypnopompic state. These are these periods of time right before we wake up, right after we go to sleep. But really don't worry about that. Don't worry, I can spend, I'll do an episode if there's interest on how we sometimes find out what we missed, and what we don't know. But just be aware that there's something that your your body knows how to process this information. It's really good at it. It has a well-oiled process for keeping you safe and bringing forward areas that you need to address and work through that aren't really available to your conscious mind. These happen under the hood. Again, simply allow and work from what you already have in front of you, and you can explore those things. So what's next? So after you have your finger on the problem or the problems, or you at least highlight them in terms of what you missed, then bring forward a short and pithy statement that you can add to your intention log. This log I describe, I'll be describing below, it's just the repository of the learnings from your debrief that's are allowed to percolate and filter in any key insights and statements that you want to take forward into your next mission that we'll be doing in the next protocol. So let me go through the intention log. As mentioned above, I want to compound our learning interests through record keeping so we can get more from what we learned and we can use that to compound the interest to get more and more out of it. It exponentially can be beneficial, but you need to write this shit down. Now, we could just debrief, intend, train, and debrief and get a big benefit. But again, that benefit will just be the gleanings from a single session. If we keep an ongoing intention log, we can begin to track our experiences and locate the patterns and habits that we would like to see come through or that we would like to cease doing. So a note of lack or some key aspect that we want to encourage can only be come back to if we've placed it down on paper somewhere. We tend to forget these things. We're not the most reliable narrators of our own experience. We typically think much better for ourselves. We're not particularly good at rational thinking. So using that time and energy that you found in your debrief, writing these things and these these 
these ideas down in a notebook for an intention log will make a huge difference, okay? When we merely approach each effort as a discrete experience, we fail to recognize that we're, that most of our training, especially the training I do in the telesystem, is operating at mul- multiple levels. And we can't take advantage of all those different levels if we don't have a way to go back and track what our experiences were. So in order to do a detention log, you basically just need this. And in, first of all, you need a notebook. So you can either do it in paper or on an online notebook that will work. You know, I always recommend working in the analog, handwritten format. I find that there's an embodied wisdom and awareness that seems to come through that sometimes triggers operations that yield more from the human psyche that we haven't been able to realize when we're just dealing in the virtual realm. Um, however, whatever you do, just get the words down in a place where you can review them. That's the most important thing because it's that review that the information will start to reveal itself. They'll start to get more and more from it. So just make sure you do it. So get it in a notebook. Number two, take some time for review. As with all the steps in this protocol, you'll need a little bit of time to review the lessons to reveal themselves. It's no different reviewing your debrief and turning that content into a log for these future intentions. So ultimately what we're doing is just writing down our experiences. It takes a little bit of time. The next two pieces are sort of more, um, they're a little different. So the one next thing you really want to do is make sure that when you come away from that debrief and you're getting an intention log, which is just writing down um, your takeaways that you want to use for intentions for the next session is you need honest appraisal. You really want to be open and honest about what actually happened in your sessions. So that hopefully comes through in your debrief. So ultimately, the whole point of taking the time to do this, to do the brief, the intentions, execute the session and debrief, so you can learn to trust your experience and allow that experience to reinforce good outcomes and avoid negative outcomes, outcomes you don't want to have happen in the future, especially in terms of training and racing. So this basically requires that you not be full of shit. So be sure you're being honest and true with your assessment of what comes through in your intention log and be sure that it's trustworthy. If it's trustworthy, it'll be useful. You'll be able to do something with it. And finally, the last piece of this intention log is just having courage. For some of you, even taking the time and the effort to even consider this mission protocol will require the courage to overcome your bias towards um, an idea, idea of intentions or the idea of an intentional field. I appreciate that. But for everyone, there will be moments of losing your nerve, of flinching at your own inner weakness, your fears. And that can be incredibly difficult to overcome. But I would just remind you that this entire purpose is for this process to develop your self-trust necessary for standing on the starting line in an open and honest way and honestly assessing yourself before the gun goes off, feeling confident in the uncertainty of whatever race conditions might be there and still going all the way the fuck in on your goal. So there's an opportunity here for doing something incredible that will be thwarted if you have a lack of courage and trust. Again, This intention log is the final piece of the puzzle that you need to use. Now, some of you may say, what's the difference between an intention log and my training log? Well, your training log is just simply going to outline what you did effectively. In fact, most of you probably don't even keep a training log. I know some of you do, but most, most of you probably don't. You just use your Strava data or you use your Garmin data and you just look at it over the future. That, that, this is what I'm trying to avoid. And what I'm trying to do is to have some kind of hard document, some kind of 
analog handwritten piece of the puzzle that says, here is my experience from this brief process. This mission protocol results in a little tiny sheet of paper with one, two, three different intentions that I want to take forward. I learned something in this session, something to do, something not to do, and then try to turn that into something pithy. You recycle and repeat, recycle and repeat this process twice, three times a week. You can even do it for your easy runs if you want to get better at it. Super simple. And then it doesn't take much. It will take less and less time. In fact, I argue that this whole process, the whole mission protocol, can take as little as five minutes. Now, it'll take some time to read your brief if your coach wrote it up. It'll take you two, three, four minutes to kind of think through what you want to take away from that. Then you'll go into your session. You'll execute your session. You might have some things that you used from your intentions to get yourself set there. And then when your debrief process will probably take three, four, five minutes. May just take as much time just to sit down and get yourself ready to write down pen and paper. In fact, some of this stuff could be happening while you're driving. It can happen while you're thinking through it. It can happen at other times. But just get it down somewhere and keep it consistent. Very, very important. So once you've gone through all of this, you have an active intention log that you can use of your recorded experiences that you've distilled in writing. And once that's done, like I said, the process is complete and then it repeats and recycles into the next cycle. So what's next? After you've done that, where do you go from there? So this whole protocol, protocol is meant to operate as an upward spiral. We take the debrief content distilled in our intention log and we meet the next workout session and the whole process continues. After you've gone through this four, five, six times, a natural rhythm should take over and you'll find your own way of working. As long as you're focusing on the key aspects of the protocol, then the specific ways you go about it shouldn't, should be personalized for greater applicability and resonance. Again, this is not a strict set process. I'm pulling this shit out of my ass. Now, I've been doing it. I've had other athletes doing it. But just know that these are just basically a sketch. Allow it to grow and morph in any way that feels authentic and creative to you. Make this a creative act. However, if you don't do this, you are leaving significant, significant benefit on the ground. You're not utilizing some of the most important things. Okay, so a couple things. I know some of you are saying, won't this take forever? As I said, I don't think it should necessarily take more than five to 10 minutes um, each time you do it. I think if you take an hour, hour and a half in terms of doing your workouts, if you're taking you know, 15, 20 minutes to get to a workout, 15, 20 minutes to get done with it, all this process to take another five to 10 minutes to get what I would consider perhaps maybe even as much or more benefit from doing the session is taking the time to do this protocol. I think it would be hugely beneficial. So each of you have to decide um, how much you value it. I just ask you basically just to take the time to consider it. Again, once you have your own guidebook, your own way of doing this, um, where you've got a, a way of taking your own experience and checking it, setting and testing and consolidating your intentions, I think you'll see that there's a huge amount a benefit from it, but more important, I want to highlight the fundamentally practical wisdom that can be gleaned. Hard-earned insights around training that will actually spend like hard currency in a real race environment are available. So much of what goes on in the starting line is mental. You've heard it before. 
Training is 90, racing is 90% mental. What you're doing here is doing the work ahead of time to make sure that most of your racing that's going on is in the mental arena. And that hopefully because you've done this process, you're able to easily slip in, much more easily slip into what we might call a flow state. And if you implement this protocol, then you won't have to wait until race day to see if the work that you've been doing pays dividends. Your intention log should begin to be incredibly useful in designing your future mission protocols and eventually your race plan. And if this doesn't actually play out in real time where you've got really good race plans and really good outcomes from your sessions, I don't know what practical is. That seems to me to be the most important thing. But seriously, why should I bother? Because I believe the mission protocol is the single most effective tool for developing self-trust in the fitness that you are working so hard to develop in your training. When you train without this protocol, you leave the results up to biology and chance. Now your worldview may only recognize these actors as scientifically causal powers. I, however, do not. I believe there are unseen powers that are yet to be fully tested or understood by science that play into what it means to be human, especially at the level of high performance. While, my, while I may agree that those who are okay with just enough in terms of their performance may only require empirically justified biological facts and the randomness of chance, I'm very confident that those who are attempting to operate at their full human capacity will need to add old ways to the performance toolbox. This motion protocol and the idea of intention in the intentional field are old ways brought into a new toolbox. If you want to share your experience, feel free to email me at sisson at TELUS Running. The TELUS Running training program will be working through many of these specific ideas in our monthly group meetings. So if these ideas spark a deep interest in you, I provide guidelines and insights around these ideas, how they play out in individualized, personalized training programs. You can reach out to me at the email I just indicated. If you have questions, concerns, or issues that you'd like to me address directly on this podcast, then please reach out to me at Sisson at Tell Us Running, and I'm happy to help you with them. I hope you enjoy this episode. Godspeed, my friends. Godspeed. Godspeed.